welcome to episode three of the Off Balance 3. Three is my favorite number of all sports jerseys because the man who wore it, and this will tell you a little bit about me, was none other than John Starks. Oh, I love John Starks. <laughs> Loved the guy. So what you're trying to tell us is that you're kind of short. Um, I'd like to use the language of Mike Mayock, who, if you don't know, is a NFL scout and analyst. He was, yeah. uh, you know, he was in his element during the, the draft. He described a player, instead of saying he was short, he said he has natural leverage. <laughs> nice. If that isn't a bastardization of the language, I don't know what is. Natural leverage. That's pretty smooth. Right? Here's, here's how you know a guy's short. His favorite player is either John Starks or Minute Bowl. You know, there's either like identification or compensation. Scotty Pippen, I'd be like, you are 6'1. <laughs> Notes from the network here. We're going to start. Oh, excellent. I think we'll try to start every show with this. The music way too hip-hop we're way too white for the hip-hop music and uh okay. that's why you heard an, a rock and roll intro at the beginning rock of the show and then also <laughs> if brian could not bring up the untimely death of flip saunders ever again that would be great so <laughs> oh really that's that's was it a buzzkill this is the network it's not me <laughs> I'm, i've gotten a lot worse notes put it that way we're on the same side I told him to buzz off in no uncertain language. So here we are, guys. Episode three. Brian. Yes. How are you? Quite well. Yourself? I'm well. <laughs> I just like to check in once in a while. My shrink told me that she thinks I should go from every other week to once a month. Doing That's the podcast progress. or? <laughs> <laughs> no, she thinks I should stop podcasting altogether. She All... said she's tired of that. But Right. No, I, th I feel good, though. That's like... Uh... It's like half sane, right? Sure. Why not? And Jeff, <laughs> how's your relationship with your therapist? Uh, we're not on speaking terms. Um, <laughs> not a good start. So I, I'd call that progress. <laughs> <laughs> While we were waiting to connect with Brian, I learned that Jeff has a personal relationship with the GM of the Browns right now. He wrote a foreword to one of his books. Not only that, but Jeff has not seen Moneyball, the movie that's based on this man. He hasn't seen Is it, it. Sashi or John Pope? What's his name? Jeff, jump in. Which guy? Oh, uh, Paul De Podesta. Paul De Podesta. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you really you wrote a forward to Paul De Podesta's book? He wrote a forward to my book, actually. Oh, well, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. Back when he was working for the Padres. Do you have any feelings about the uh, Browns draft? I, honestly, I don't. I'm probably the least qualified person, maybe anywhere, to comment on that. In fact, so, uh, <laughs> we'll just uh, we'll just leave it right there. <laughs> you haven't seen Moneyball, huh? Oh, I really haven't, and it's. Uh, I probably should do that just to avoid these sorts of conversations in the future. Well, have you read Moneyball? <laughs> I have. I have. Don't Although, see I, you're fine without seeing the movie. It's totally yeah. honestly. <laughs> this is probably boring as hell, but let me just relay to you how we got there in this conversation. Started off with me telling Jeff about the three cats that have taken over my house, and then he told me about his dogs, and then. Do you mean like jazz players or like felines? <laughs> is it like a trio, like a horn trio with a drum just taking over your house? Yeah, John Coltrane just kind of shacks up in the basement. It smells like weed yeah, all the time, which I'm okay with, house. but yeah. <laughs> these cats taking over my house. 
<laughs> so then he made a reference to the Men in Black dog. So then I talked about 21 Jump Street and the crossover that they're doing. Men, Men in, in Black, Black and 21 Jump Street are doing the crossover. And then it was revealed that he hasn't seen Moneyball. and has a personal relationship with a guy that it was based on. I can't believe it. That would make me go see it even more. I want to see the depiction. Are you as dumbfounded yeah, by this as I am? <laughs> yeah, I would be curious. I'd be like, what short guy did they get to play Aaron, you know? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to John Starks. Then it'd be, a, it'd be a, a, oh, the guy from Sarah Marshall. It'd be Jason Siegel, and I'd be like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about who you might cast in my bic or biopic. Honestly, Rory Scovel would play you. Ooh. You and Rory Scovel look similar, and I bet he's a, probably a pretty darn good actor. Mm. That's not the first time I've gotten that comparison, actually. So no, I'll take it. I love Rory. That guy's, that guy's great. Yeah. I feel like we're ready to go now. We're all lubed up. <laughs> all right. Warmed up. Yeah. Ready to go. Crowd is demanding more. And here we go. <laughs> this is the famous segment that everyone loves. It's all ball or flagrant foul. We begin with President Obama and his White House correspondence speech. He made a mention, Ted Cruz's gaffe, when he was in Indiana and called a basketball hoop a basketball ring. Meanwhile, on the Republican side, Things are a little more, how shall we say this? A little more loose. <laughs> Just look at the confusion over the invitations to tonight's dinner. Guests were asked to check whether they wanted steak or fish, but instead, a whole bunch of you wrote in Paul Ryan. <laughs> That's not an option, people. Steak or fish. <laughs> and then there's Ted Cruz. Ted had a tough week. He went to Indiana. Hoosier country. Stood on a basketball court and called the hoop a basketball ring. What else is in his lexicon? Baseball sticks, football hats. <laughs> but sure, I'm the foreign one. Well, you know, I usually don't care about the, I mean, you kind of watch the highlights of the president one, and I put it on the other night thinking I just watched the first couple of minutes, and it was so funny, and he had, he did such a good job. There were only a few groaners in there, but I, I watched the whole thing straight through. It was really good. On the calling out of Ted Cruz and the jokes that are sports related, did he hit the mark as the all ball, or was it flagrant foul? Oh, all ball for Obama. Uh, I mean, Ted Cruz called a basketball hoop a basketball ring, and then he called his mistress a campaign advisor. You know, so he, his terminology is all over the map. <laughs> At least in my memory. Now, I know this might seem blasphemous because George W. Bush was actually the owner of the Texas Rangers for a bit. But as far as sports fandom, I think President mm -hmm. Obama is the biggest sports fan that's ever been in the Oval Office. I feel like Teddy Roosevelt was probably a sporting fellow. Different kind of sport, though. But uh, yeah. <laughs> What sport was he playing? 
He's shooting things, you know. He was sort of a outdoorsman, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Ted Cruz talking about basketball reminded me of when you were like 16 and everybody was talking, and one guy was talking about like sex, and you could tell he'd never done anything, yeah. and he was just like saying what he thought someone would say if they knew what that felt like. <laughs> I can't get enough of the body language from Ted Cruz. Just I, you see him punch his wife on accident. I saw that one, but the one that got me even more. <laughs> was the awkward exchange between him and Carly Fiorina when they were trying to do the move where you hold each other's hands and you raise them up triumphantly. But they battled. They had a thumb wrestling war with their hands to try to figure <laughs> out like who was going to be on top before they raised it. And they switched positions like five times with their hands before they raised them. It was so cringe-inducing. I couldn't take it anymore. But we're way off track. Jeff, the Obama jokes about sports and going after Ted Cruz, all ball or flagrant foul? Uh, that one's all ball for sure. Cruz gave the world a punchline, and uh, everybody's just kind of running with it. So I think the one thing I would say for Cruz, if I were him, I'd want to maybe uh, trademark that phrase basketball ring and get it plastered all over T-shirts and coffee mugs. Hmm. Ah. You know, get work work the marketing angle like uh, was it Pat Riley with a three-peat back in the day? <laughs> you know, I'm I'm thinking. I mean, he could just he could just really own that, and and you know, pe- people will get a kick out of it, and uh, you know, maybe maybe give him a little money for that. But um, and, and plus, you know, I also I also think I think back to some other classic gaffes. You know, I'm thinking, well, okay, that was pretty bad, but it's not like he misspelled potato in front of a class of, of sixth graders. <laughs> I know the, the Dan Quayle references are like so timely right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to say one thing, since since I've gone ahead and dragged his name into this, I want to say one thing in Quayle's defense. You may or may not know that sixth graders are not, in fact, allowed to vote in this country. <laughs> so that's that's my defense of Dan Quayle. And for Cruz, yeah, no. For, for Obama, yeah, all ball. Cruz, get on those coffee mugs and T-shirts. Quail, potato, no E. Let's capitalize. I would recommend that you do that before we're even done with this podcast. Cause... <laughs> My people are on it. You know, register the domain and just sell it back to them. That's, a, that's, the smart, that's a quick one, you know? Basketballring.com. See if it comes in. It's for sale. Man. Uh, Somebody's okay. already squatting for the right price, Jeff. If you feel like you can turn a profit, <laughs> jump on it. I'm going to uh, also go all ball. President Obama nailing it. The voice in my head is going, no, why don't you suck Obama's balls a little bit more? But I also think... <laughs> he, well, the voice in your head is much cruder than your regular voice. I know, right? <laughs> Andrew Dice Clay lives in your head. You're a very polite gentleman otherwise. <laughs> Hickory dickory <laughs> Hey, you suck his balls a little more, you know? like, you can't say that not hear an accent. Yeah, I think he's the funniest president that we've had, too. Not only is he the biggest sports fan, but I think he's got great comedic timing. And talk about this a little bit, being that, you know, we have this resident comedian. You got a lot more experience with this than I do, Brian. I think what makes Obama such a great comedic personality, we'll call him, is that he has his voice. You know what his voice is, so you know what angle the jokes are coming from, and he's very savvy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. And 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 because he's such a confident speaker, he has good timing. Like, he'll let tension build a little bit to punch something, you know? No, he's he's a great speaker. Here's the thing, though. Clinton, I think, is, is very funny. And uh, I also think George W. Bush was quite funny, and not just ironically. Mm-hmm. He was pretty hilarious. Like if you 
if you decontextualize him from running the free world and having nuclear missiles at his disposal, he was really fun. Like calling Karl Rove Turd Blossom, what a great way to just constantly demean somebody who's dying to be demeaned, needs to be demeaned. You know, like I, Bush cracked me up. I thought he was really funny. Just, you know, didn't vote for him. <laughs> I had no idea that he was a Beavis and Butthead fan with that vocabulary. That makes me like him a little bit more. <laughs> Oh no, he's hilarious. He's like, yeah. There's a great uh, video of him back when he was drinking, and he, he, you know, it's one of those wedding videos. And like, what would you say? And he just tears into the groom and just drunkenly roasts him. And it, it's very funny. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. I'm, I'm gonna have to look for that. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, but no, Obama might be the funny. We've had the three funniest presidents. Some people think Reagan's funny, but I, I don't think Reagan was funny. I think Reagan could just sell a line okay because he was an actor. Yeah, I mean, I'm too young for the Reagan years. I mean, I lived through the aftermath of it, I guess. <laughs> I was watching a documentary recently. Speaking of lame presidential candidates, this was on Michael Dukakis. Oh! I was unaware that uh, Ronald Reagan attacked Dukakis when he found out that Dukakis openly admitted to occasionally suffering from depression. Reagan called him an invalid. I was like, wow, Like that says a lot about the way that we feel about mental health in this country. The president, his words have so much weight, and that's what you chose to call the guy with depression. Wow. Yeah, he was a douchebag. <laughs> Mincing no words. Okay. No, not at all. <laughs> I just thought that was particularly messed up. Uh, all right, let's move on from the politics. Well, <laughs> sort of. David Ortiz... He says that he wants to play himself, and and he will, in an upcoming Mark Wahlberg movie called Patriot's Day. I can just feel the Bostonians chubbing up just thinking about this movie. The title's there. It's got their hometown hero. The Boston Red Sox are involved. This will break records all across the world because every person that lives in Massachusetts is going to see it. Okay, so Big Poppy is going to play himself. Apparently, he's going to recreate a scene that actually played out in real life after the Boston Marathon bombing. He gave, I guess, what was a very emotional speech in the aftermath of that tragedy, and they're going to recreate that for the movie. So I ask you, Jeff, the decision made by David Ortiz to go ahead and recreate this movie and be in a Mark Wahlberg movie called Patriot's Day. All ball or flagrant foul? I'd say all ball, mainly because I don't think Wahlberg would be as good playing David Ortiz. <laughs> um, so I think having Ortiz do that, probably he's a little better qualified. I don't know if Wahlberg was up for that role, but um, if he was, I think I think Ortiz was the better choice. And um, and the only... Um, these are the jokes, people. Um, and the only... Uh, <laughs> The only other thing I can say is, you know, just uh, as long as he's not actually playing first base, he'll be fine. Just just leave him at DH. He'll be okay. Yeah, when's the last time he did actually get out on the field? I'm, I'm going to go with the extremely precise term of a while. <laughs> Good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Miller, all ball or flagrant foul? I'm going to go flagrant foul because I can only assume that if Mark Wahlberg is making a movie about the Boston Marathon bombings, that he will stop them in the movie the way he said he would have stopped 9-11. And I don't think that sounds historically accurate at all. 
he wants to make that 9-11 movie so bad where he, where he, he actually does stop the plane. But now he can't because he's, he kind of took a lot of heat for those comments. So he's like, yeah, what's the next so. best thing that I can do to wrap myself up in this patriotic porn? Oh, I'll make a movie called Patriot's Day. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just seems a little soon to be making a movie out of it to me, but... Yeah, I'm going flagrant foul. Not a fan. All right, so our next topic is about Chris Bosh. Now, I know you guys are following the NBA playoffs as deeply as I am. This is a really interesting story on several levels. He has been sidelined for at least a few months. This is a problem that he's had previously, but he's been sidelined with blood clots. Now, he wants to play, but the Miami Heat are saying no. And now the NBA Players Association is getting involved and perhaps arguing on behalf of Bosch to let him play. So from the perspective of the Miami Heat and their decision to not let him play when clearly he wants to, is it an all ball or flagrant foul, Jeff? So from that side, I'm going to say all ball, because I think really um, if their medical staff has determined that he's not fit to play, then that's kind of without getting into union rules and, and what recourse the player has. I mean, because to me, it seems like the things he's been doing, have. It's I, I understand he and his wife have been taking to social media to try and, you know, get, get this whole thing out in the court of public opinion, which... I'm guessing it's probably not the proper channels for it. So um, I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, I don't know, that's just me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it sort of seems to me that's going to be the team's call after consulting with the appropriate uh, experts and so forth. Like from the other side of it, it, it seems like, you know, during the basketball playoffs, if you're looking for drama, it should be taking place on the court and not so much about some guys, not, not to belittle his condition, but some guys' blood clots and whether he's fit to play or not. And it just seems like that's eh, probably not really the experience the NBA is looking for. Brian, all ball or flagrant foul? Yeah, all ball. I can't, you can't fault him. I mean, I, I love the guy's hustle. I totally I appreciate him wanting to play. But first off, what a potential PR disaster if something really horrible were to happen to him and then how bad would they feel just personally? I mean, clearly they want to win, you know, they want to, they want the best players to play. I got to go in on that. Even though, like I said, you can't fault a guy for wanting to play. It's a curious thing. You know, I guess you'd have to find a team that says like, yeah, we'll let you risk it. I think I have the argument to end all arguments. I'm going all ball too with the Miami Heat's decision. And here's why. If Chris Bosh wanted to play, then he shouldn't have made that commercial with Arnold Palmer and Kevin Nealon about blood clots and how serious they are. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen this, but... Uh, I have not. It's actually, here's the thing. It's got Kevin Nealon, very funny comedian, Arnold Palmer, Chris Bosh, and some NASCAR driver, right? And it's actually very well done and kind of funny. It makes me think that Kevin Nealon probably had his hands on it a little bit. But uh, it's just tough to see that and then be like, yeah, but but Chris, you're selling us medication for this condition. You're probably not fit to play. I'm Chris Bosch. When I was sidelined with blood clots in my lung, it was serious. Fortunately, my doctor had a game plan. Treatment with Seralto. Hey, guys. Hey, finally somebody I can look up to. Besides Arnie. Yeah, I got to go with you there. Yeah. It's like you can't, you can't be the poster boy for a significant illness and then be upset when the team claims you have it. Miami Heat, we're standing by you. 
Can you imagine if he just died on the court? Can you imagine? I oh mean, God, it's horrible. You have to consider that as as uh, you know the the organization. How terrible! From just uh, uh, forget it. <laughs> I don't. Let's kill him like Flip Saunders. <laughs> so you're gonna get a note from the network. <laughs> All right, let's kick it to another NBA topic. If you were watching Game Two of the Spurs Thunder series, which I know you guys definitely were, it was a wild, wild ending. Probably should have never been this close because the Thunder were well ahead and blew a lead. But it was wild. There's fouls all over the place. And now the NBA has a policy where I guess the referees uh, association, whatever that's called, reviews games. And when they realize that there's mistakes, they publicly announce the mistakes by the referees. So they admitted that there were five officiating errors in the last 13.5 seconds. I'll read them off to you guys. At 13.5 seconds. Ginobili, uh, so there's, it was an out-of-bounds play, right? So the Thunder are inbounding. Manu Ginobili was guarding the guy that was inbounding the ball. So they say that he should have been called for a delay game violation for stepping on the sideline. So already he was out-of-bounds. And then Dion Waiters... The guy that was inbounding the ball should have been called for an offensive foul because he pushed Ginobili while he was inbounding the ball. Then they say Patty Mills should have been called for grabbing and holding Steven Adams. And then Kawhi Leonard should have been called for grabbing Westbrook's jersey. And Sergi Baca should have been called for a foul underneath the basket with 2.6 seconds left. Long story short, I want your guys' opinion on how do you feel about the NBA publicly acknowledging the mistakes of the referees. A good idea, all ball, or flagrant foul? Brian. I respect the honesty, but at a certain point, I think you just got to... <laughs> if you're making that many mistakes, you should probably not acknowledge all of them. I remember I watched that highlight on Sports Center, and it was just like the referees were like, well, let's just not have rules for the last 15 <laughs> seconds and see what happens. I mean, it was a pretty amazing sequence of events. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go flagrant foul on that. So you think that they should not release the mistakes publicly? I mean, I respect the honesty, but when you're making f- five mistakes in 13 seconds, maybe you should just be quiet about it. All right. All right. Jeff, your opinion, all ball or flagrant foul? Yeah, I'm going to call flagrant foul on that one as well. Huh. Um, kind of. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> on the one hand, you'd like to see the uh, referees being held to the highest standard, but I don't know if that needs to be out quite out in the open to that degree. I guess the question is what larger purposes that serve. Is the thought going to be that the sort of public shaming, if you will, is going to steer them in the direction of making better calls in the future? I don't know that that's the case. The other thing I was thinking about is specifically with those um, five calls in the last 13 and a half seconds. So four of those all happen at the same time, but it seems to me if they call the first one, the other three never have a chance to happen. So it's a little bit misleading too. Yeah. I, I don't know if in reporting that, if you can really call, I mean, yeah, they missed four different things, which is, don't get me wrong, that's really bad. But it also seems like something's a little off there to me. I don't know how I feel about it either. I'm, I'm very confused. I like the transparency. And I like when people admit mistakes, mostly. Yeah, So sure. I'm okay with that. The opposite is Roger Goodell, if you will, where he is never wrong. Who likes that? But I think, yeah, the overall idea is that it'll improve the refereeing because they're 
holding themselves accountable. So I'm going to go all ball. I'm going against both here. All ball. I love it. We should have more of it. In fact, we should just have <laughs> referees training sessions. They should be televised. I'll DVR it. I was surprised. I was watching the game live, and Chris Webber was calling the game, and he just keeps going on and on about an offensive foul against Ginobili. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? I'm really enjoying the NBA playoffs. Are you guys Are you guys watching any of it at all? No, I've been watching a lot of hockey. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, see, I haven't watched any a bit of hockey. It's been good. It's been good. I watched the uh, Blues and Stars last night and the Sharks and the Predators. It was fun stuff. Some good hits. I mean, there's no football going on right now. I got to see guys smack into each other somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been missing the basketball playoffs because, and I know it's going to be hard for for you guys to believe this, but I've been watching baseball. (laughs) I'm trying to branch out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's pivot on to baseball for the next topic, uh, Albert. And again, we're getting into officiating, man. Heavy on the officiating here. But, uh, yeah, Albert- ooh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of oversight. Who watches The Watchmen? Yeah, exactly. We're keeping you honest. <laughs> Who says that? Uh, Bill O'Reilly? I don't know. Albert Pujols was called out at second base, working his way back to second base, and was kind of just standing there, shifted his weight a little bit, and the Texas Rangers player, I can't remember his name, but he kept his glove on him. And when <laughs> Poulos shifted his weight, he took his foot off the bag and they called him out. So now the Texas Rangers challenged the play because originally he was called safe. They overturned the safe call. Poulos is upset about this challenge. He's saying, you know, that's not why the replay rules were brought into the game for this kind of play. I mean, it's for other things. And Jeff, you could speak on this way better than I can. But uh, from the perspective of applying the replay rule, which I don't really know, is this an all ball or flagrant foul? Is this the proper usage? Well, I think as the rule stands, you can't, as, as the way it's, it stands, you can't really argue against it. But I, but as a fan and, and as someone who loves baseball, I would call it a flagrant foul. Um, I, the, you know, the intent really, I think, is to um, have greater accuracy in, in the calls, which is a, in general a good thing. Um, and I, I don't find myself agreeing with Albert Pujols all that much. I mean, I, I mean, I admire what the guy's accomplished in his career, but I don't, I don't particularly like his personality or whatever, or at least how it comes across. But yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with him on this because basically, I mean, the infielder, whoever it was kept his glove on on the leg just in case he slips off the bag as you're taught to do when you make that tag and the the thing is that nobody called him out at the time somebody in the rangers dugout saw something and said hey let's challenge this and so they challenge it and then everything stops and as it as it does with all the challenges everything stops and they go over and they talk to a guy in new york who's reviewing this stuff and everybody in the ballpark is sitting around waiting. I mean, that happens, of course, anyway. But you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then they come back and they call him out. And it's like, because his foot was off the bag, somebody in the dugout noticed, and somebody else in the New York said, in New York said, yep, you're right, it was off. And I'm just trying to think from a fan experience, that's not the same you get excited about at a ball game. You, you just, the anticipation, I just, I never envision a scenario where there's anticipation building, wondering what a guy in a different city is going to say about a replay that you called for because you thought you saw something from the dugout. 
it doesn't sound interesting to me at all. So you're going all ball or flagrant foul? Well, I say flagrant foul as far as the application of this. I just okay. don't think I, I just and I and I can't even give you a logical explanation for it other than I think it's really boring. <laughs> All right, I want to follow up with you a little bit about the specifics of the of the uh, application, but I want to get to Brian first. I don't want your argument to be skewed by anything that we discuss on the follow up question. So, sure, okay, all ball uh, or flagrant foul. I mean, I'm I'm kind of with Jeff uh, on this. In fact, I'll quote another Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Lebowski. I'll paraphrase him. <laughs> You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, perfect. You're not wrong, but yeah. come on. Like, that's – come on. Like, that's a, that's the sort of stuff that ruins their life on a day-to-day basis. The TSA guy who's like, won't you let you bring in the bottle, but like, it's like half full of shampoo, but it's technically can, could possibly contain <laughs> 0.02 ounces more than I said. You know, it's like, come on, man. We're just trying to get through life here. <laughs> So yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Uh, you're not. You're all ball, Walter, but you're really flagrant foul. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm learning from you guys today is that you're really cool guys that don't care much for rules. Yeah, rebels. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm going all ball. I like it, and the reason I say all ball is because. I remember a time in the NFL where there was no such thing as a challenge flag. And that opened up a whole new element to the ball game where not only are we questioning play calling, now we're questioning time management and the decision to challenge or not challenge a play. I think that can only make for exciting things in baseball. (laughs) Yeah, this was really exciting. It is. It changed the whole complexity of the game. It was exciting, like saying, um, I saw a great movie. Well, actually, I watched Russell Crowe do his taxes, but (laughs) it was only tangentially related to the sport in a certain way. Last year in the playoffs, it was the Toronto Blue Jays, and I can't remember who they were playing, but there was a play where the catcher was throwing it back to the pitcher, and it hit the batter's bat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really don't remember what actually ended up happening. All I know is that I was watching the game and people were losing their mind on what ended up being a judgment call. So when the stakes are higher in, say, a playoffs and there's a questionable decision to challenge or not challenge, that's when it gets exciting, when it's really pivotal. Yeah, and I, and I think in certain scenarios, I mean, you know, basic things like whether a ball went over the fence or not, you know, for a home run, that's for sure, or fair or foul, or did the guy run into first base, beat the throw, that kind of stuff, for sure. But it's just, and I, it, it sort of bothers me that I can't really come up with a good logical reason for, for disliking this particular application other than it just bothers me. Why aren't you interested in the truth? I know. <laughs> well, you know. Maybe I just can't handle the truth. <laughs> I guess there you not. go. I was hoping you'd bat that one back at him. I was going to be that one. Got lobbed. <laughs> well, I want to get into the weeds a little bit with the replay rule. How many times can the manager use the challenge? Let's start there. Oh, shoot. I probably should know that. I don't I f- know. Ah, forget it. Uh, I'm going to tell John Podesta about that. <laughs> 
right, so we'll move on then. Then okay, so I'm going uh, flagrant. Or I'm. What am I saying? I forget. What am I saying? I'm saying all ball, <laughs> all ball with the application of the rule. I'm the only honest person on this panel here today. <laughs> you just uh, overturned your own ruling on the, on the overturning of a ruling. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know what's happening right now. I feel like I'm in a weird dimension. We might need a replay. Hold the shake by the wall ball. It's your all baldness. That's going to do it for our all ball or flagrant foul segment. I feel like we had some healthy discussion there, but I'm not sure if I can trust these two gentlemen that I have the honor of co-hosting. conflict on that one. I like it. Uh, I, just, I, I don't even know who you are anymore. I thought I knew you, but clearly you guys don't care. I can't trust that either. I'm going to give Brian the floor here. Introduce this segment that you want to throw at us. Yeah, so it occurred to me, since we have, I have a baseball expert at my disposal, uh, I uh, like sports a lot, and I really don't like baseball. And uh, the conflict is my lovely wife and her entire family are very big baseball fans. They're really into it, and, and she gets really excited about it. And I feel bad because I just can't drum up excitement to go to these games with her. And so I was hoping Jeff could perhaps sway me. As for why I don't like baseball, the quick summation of my anti-baseballdom is uh, too much there's too much baseball. Like one of the reasons I like football is that I can watch every Vikings game and I can contain not just the Vikings entire season, but really I can kind of keep the entire league kind of in my focus and understand it all. Baseball, they'll be like, oh, he's been suspended for PE to use for 80 games. Luckily, that's only 15% of the season. <laughs> He'll be back. <laughs> and then a perfect example of why I can't stand baseball was this, this highlight clip of the pool holes thing. And it, here's the thing. It wasn't the overturned call. That wasn't the part that bugged me. The part is that before they overturned the call, right, you'll notice that if you watch the highlight clip, the, the pool host goes a second, and then they cut away, and between pitches, they uh, cut away to some a boys and girls club bus pulling up, and then about 50 kids get off a bus, and then this guy interviews these kids for the boys and girls club and then he asks them if they want ice cream and then he buys them ice cream and then they all eat ice cream and then they all get too old to still be in the boys and girls club and then they go to college and they have successful lives thanks to that program and then they come back as volunteers and about that time they cut back to the game and no one thinks it's weird or like the, the that's how slow baseball is like that do you see the guy the little girl catches the foul ball Right, but then she throws it back, and then her dad is all like pouty about it. But then he hugs it out. It was this warm moment, and all I could think of was the only sport that you could just film the crowd for a solid thirty-five straight minutes to see if anything interesting happens while you're waiting for action on the field is baseball. You would miss something in any other sport, but they're just desperate. They just film the crowd. The, oh, that guy's wearing a sombrero. Anything, anything. To drum up some interest because nothing is happening on the field. It's just so deadly slow. And so it's a, you get 162 of the slowest events in sporting history. It seems weird to me to double down on the time invested. But perhaps yeah, there's well, things that I'm missing. Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's like kind of the difference between reading, uh, you know, uh, a short story by Raymond Carver versus you know, reading Dostoevsky or something like that, um, you're, you're going to slog through a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> assuming, assuming you're hooked at the beginning. If not, it's, 
it's going to be long and potentially very painful. Well, it's going to be long either way, but it's it, it could be very painful if you're if you're not buying into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's kind of the the drama that builds throughout. Um, it kind of comes and goes. You don't have all those. The the best way I can I guess I can describe it is like other sports, um, pretty much like the other major American sports. You basically have the same basic formula actually for all four of them really you plan stuff you do stuff you do enough stuff in the right order you get points you get more points than the other team and you win that's basically describes every major american sport okay so where we have the problem in baseball is that do stuff component okay like all your other <laughs> all your other sports football hockey basketball everybody's running around or skating around everyone's moving baseball that that do stuff part a lot of there's a lot of just standing around okay and the thing about that is what it allows is if, if you're if you're sort of immersed in that experience you can kind of sit there and it, instead of watching guys run around and going oh oh wait whoa you know like what are they doing what's going on it you, you kind of it's a little more um contemplative where where you would be con- <laughs> sort of more like going, the huh. dmv i can contemplate at the dmv because i'm waiting around for something to you happen can, but you'll be inside <laughs> which usually doesn't happen in baseball it does sometimes but it, it usually doesn't but yeah no no because like i'll tell you for me what i what i do when i'm watching a ball game like if i'm watching it on tv I, this may say more about me than baseball but when i'm watching it on tv i'll sit there and i'll try and figure out what pitch the guy is going to throw is he going to throw a fastball is he going to throw a slider is he going to go inside outside uh you know up or down is the guy what you know is the guy going to swing at it where's he trying to hit it there's if there's a guy on first is he going to try and steal second um, you know, those kind of things. Or if I'm at the ballpark, I'll be sitting there and I'll watch, I'll watch the defenders kind of say, Oh, well, you know, who's paying attention? What's going on? It's sort of the, the more I say it, it, it sounds bad, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not really but selling I, it. Well, I, I, I swear, I swear it's fun. I'm having a good time. Not. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, a lot of the time I just, I, I spend there just trying to go figure out what are they going to do next? What's happening next? It's almost like a mystery that unfolds slowly, granted, and over a long, long period of time. But I just, I just get lost in it, completely immersed in that sport in a way that I don't others. I kind of like to think about the why, why things are happening rather than so much what's happening. I'll just give you an example from another sport, which I, I granted, I don't watch other sports all that often, but when I'm watching a football game, I mean... I'm imagining most people are watching the ball. I'm watching the O-line. I'm watching the blocking sense. I want to know who's hitting who. That to me is fascinating. I love that perspective. That's something I I never do that I tell myself I should do that more often, probably because I'm just projecting myself upon the game and I can't imagine myself as an offensive lineman. So I'm watching the positions that I think I could play, the skill positions. So it's like... (laughs) And those guys up front are so unbelievably athletic you know when you watch like a guard pull or something it's like how did he get there that fast but but it's just fun to watch for me to watch those schemes and see you know kind of the the maneuverings behind the chess game part of it if you will and 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 i i take the same pleasure in baseball it's it's slow there's there's nothing you can do about that that's just the pace that's the way the game goes but um i i find i i get enormous enjoyment from just watching and trying to trying to guess along with what's going to happen. And if I get it right, I feel like, oh, hey, I understood why that happened. And if I get it wrong, it's like, oh, hey, there was a cool surprise. And 
you know, I'm, so I'm, I'm and, and every once in a while you get a, like a crazy thing happening. Like even in this first month of the season, we've already had a triple play that basically happened because the guys running the bases it's, it's turned into. He was an offensive lineman. It was they, they didn't know what they were doing. They turned into little leaguers. And you had a guy, um, Yasiel Puig with the Dodgers, throw a guy out at third base from like a bazillion miles away. And you just watch it. and It's like, whoa, how did he do that? Um, and you had another guy steal home, straight steal home, which is like hardly ever happens. That was a Yankee, Ellsbury. right? That, yeah, yeah, Jacoby. Ellsbury. Look at me, yeah, I know was, stuff. Yeah, that was it. That was the guy. <laughs> and it was just, it was so shocking. And you, it's, it's almost like your reward for hanging in there. The <laughs> for hanging in there, you, you kind of feel like, yeah, I was there. I did that. I saw that. And you'll be, you know, when you see something really special like that, you'll still be talking about it 30, 40 years down the line. Like, yeah, yeah, that's I true. Remember that play. And like the and, just you know, for instance, the I brought up the Toronto Blue Jays the situation with the catcher throwing the ball mm-hmm. back. That's I'm never going to forget that. Well, and I mean, people today they still talk about Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's record with his home run. There's there's so many famous home runs in history, you know, of, of like um, you know Bill Mazeroski's home run against the Yankees in 1960 in the World Series. Um, you know. Uh, uh, Thompson hitting one off of uh, Ralph Branca, the Giants and the Dodgers back in the 50s. The Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant. You know, it's like an iconic uh, defining moment of America of that era. There's things like that. that you sort of get grounded in those and, and they, they stay with you. If you're able to make that first leap and accepting that, hey, this is going to be slow. We're going to have to chill a bit. A lot of times stuff isn't going to happen. So you sort of figure out what things to look for. Like, oh, hey, that shortstop. What's he doing over there? That's kind of wild or maybe talk to the boys and girls club about their ice cream. I don't know. But, yeah. uh, you know there's always, there's just a lot of different things to focus on. Let me, let me jump in here. I want to interject a few things that you mentioned the position of the shortstop. And I remember seeing a story about Joe Girardi, the manager of the Yankees saying that he's not a fan of the defensive shift epidemic that's happening, but he still does it. See, this is what drives me nuts about baseball. So the defense will make an adjustment say there's a left-hand hitter and he never goes opposite field so let's move most of our players over because he's going to pull the ball okay so he does that say it's david ortiz up at bat right there's not like the batter should be able to make an adjustment just bunt the ball and get on base he never does it that drives me nuts there's no adjustment he's just like all right they shifted they know where i'm gonna hit it I'm just going to keep doing everything the same way that I always do it. Just bunt and run your fat ass to first. Get on base. <laughs> well, yeah, no, and it's kind of an interesting thing because, okay, first of all, the shifting, it's its like because of the amount of data they now have available at their disposal so that they can make those decisions, you, it's a lot more prominent than it used to be. But it's actually been going back on a, on a much, much more limited scale, going back to even the days of Ted Williams um, and on forward, but uh, yeah, like within the last three or four years, it's really, really um, gotten kind of out of hand. But uh, I mean, out of hand in terms of there's a lot more of it. Um, I think it actually makes there's there's really solid reasons for doing it. Um, and you do occasionally see guys that will that will bunt to to break the shift. Um, the 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 couple of things that makes that a little bit tricky is one, a lot of guys can't bunt. So that's just not part of their skill set. I know because I do the same thing. I'm like, God, look at that! Look at that guy! Just bunt. You can you can walk to first, but they physically don't know how to bunt. And now you can say, okay, that's a matter of well, why don't they learn the fundamentals and and be able to bunt? The question is, 
if you've got a guy like Ortiz or, you know, somebody else that's capable of hitting 30, 35 home runs in a year, if he's up at bat, the only way they're really going to get him out is if he hits a ground ball into that shift. Okay. So if he hits a bunt, he gets to go to first base, but with a guy like that, there's a pretty good, there's a pretty decent chance that he's going to get a hold of one and knock it out of the park. And then he doesn't have to stop at first. He can just take his time going around the bases and say, Hey, we got a, we got to run right there. You're going so, for the big reward rather than the little so, game. Yeah. So those are the kinds, and, and those are that I'm actually glad you brought this up because those are the exact types of decisions that I find completely fascinating about baseball where, right. it's, where you have to think, well, when does it work to your advantage to drop down that bunt? You know, if you've got the element of surprise, okay, but then maybe if there's, you know, in a certain situation, if, if there, maybe there's two outs and you can't risk that or you're only down one run and if you hit one out, you've tied the game or or so, so you know, do you need, a, do, the question becomes, do you need the base runner or do you need the run? And there's just so many variables that your mind just never stops. It's either awesome or, or excruciating depending on your viewpoint. Okay, well, I'll, I'll do some homework. I'll, I'll dial in like a Cubbies game. That's my team. And I will uh, I will try to uh, – because I used to go to Wrigley a lot back in the day when I used to live down near there. And uh, But I just like – I would like bring homework to Wrigley because I would get bored. And so I would like kind of half watch the game and like do my English assignment. If you're watching the Cubs on TV, watch things like um, – watch watch when the – when the catcher's laying down his signs and look, you know, look at, look at the different numbers he's throwing down there and try and figure out, Oh, is that going to be, you can start guessing along. It's like, okay, that's going to be a fastball. Oh, that's going to be a curveball. And then after he lays down the sign, he'll readjust his squat and, and set up the catcher's mitt to lay, put down the target. And then you can watch, you know, different pitchers. Some of them, they'll, they'll hit that target every time. Some of them, they're all over the place and you can kind of watch these different guys and start to get a feel for them. It becomes like a big soap opera where you're like, Oh yeah, that's the guy who can't hit the broad side of the barn with his fastball. And then, Oh, here's the guy with the crazy curveball. Oh, here's that guy who runs all over the place and he's fast, but he doesn't know what he's doing out there. Are you a fan of Bryce Harper? First of all, he's a stud. So I think to a certain degree, you want to make your superstars happy. He and Mike Trout are going to be the kinds of guys that bring that next generation of fans along and, and sustain baseball. But as far as the things he's done and said, I, I don't always love them, but I will say that I'm also a little bit older than I think the target audience that MLB should be shooting for. Hmm. And I think personally, honestly, I, the more, and, and this happens, the more I get older, I say, you know what? Yeah, I don't mind. Go ahead and piss off the old guys a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't take offense because I feel like, no, no, no. I was a kid. I was a young man and I did all these things and I enjoyed the game the way it was. And in my mind, that's the way it should always be played because that's what I grew up with and that's what I'm used to. And it feels comfortable. It feels right. The kids growing up today, it's a different thing, right? And, you know, you need to engage them. You need to meet them the way that they're going to be wanting to engage with it. It's still baseball. I mean, it's been, it's, it's existed, you know, for 150 ish years, 140 some odd years. And it, it, it evolves. It evolves as people evolve. I'm just picturing Brian sitting at the Twins games with his wife, like just doing a crossword puzzle, not even paying attention to the game. Has <laughs> Jeff convinced you at all here to maybe try to like no, baseball? No, no, no. I'm gonna, I'm, I, we've got tickets to a game in July, I think end of June, end of July, one or the other. So uh, I'll do a little homework. I'll try to buy That's my deadline. I want to be thoroughly enjoying baseball to enjoy that game when we get there live. And my wife certainly puts up with a lot of uh, – crap that i want to watch so i'm, I'm doing my best to <laughs> put up with her stuff and, and learn to like it she learned to like football so i can learn to like baseball right we'll get you there yeah we'll check right. back up I'm on you fellas. um 
You want to get your plugs out real quick? Any dates you want to plug, Brian? Uh, oh, you know, I will be in Sioux Falls this Saturday at a place called The Station with our own uh, Kostaki Economopolis. Never heard of Come him. Come see me in Sioux Falls. Never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff? Uh, I'm at CrookedScoreboard.com doing that baseball thing. And what's the book that has the foreword from the Cleveland Browns GM? Oh, my gosh. That's a very old book that uh, you'd have to be a very hardcore Padres fan from about seven or eight years ago to really appreciate. Uh, it's called the Ducks Norts Baseball Annual. I'm curious to read it now. I want to look it up. So am I. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, this has been episode three. I'm at Aaron Hodges on Twitter. If you want to say hello, please do so. And, oh, we got a rating and review on iTunes. We'll have to read that next episode. Yes, we got our first us. review, so please send some more. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We're out.